Green Chili Adventure Gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. Their website, greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. They've been doing it since 2002. That's Outfitting Adventure Riders. And they have got a load, I mean the full load, of parts and accessories online that they can ship to your door. MaxBMW.com. Get their e-rider newsletter. It's free. MaxBMW.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. Do you tense up when you come up to a stretch of gravel that you didn't expect to see? Maybe a construction zone or a road that you weren't thinking would be gravel? Or maybe you avoid places because there may be deep gravel. Well, any of those concerns tells you that you need to work on your gravel skills. And that's what we're going to tackle today on our exclusive rider skills segment today with Clinton Smout. Clinton just returned from riding in the Yukon and he's got some stories for us, including one where, where he gets stuck himself alone and he's going to tell you how he got out of that but he has some basic skills that we're going to talk through and then some practice at the end of it for you to better your gravel riding skills i'm jim martin this is adventure rider radio stay with us we get a good one for you Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. The website, cyclepump.com. That's Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manning. I'm Phil. Ted Simon. Austin Ben. Well, you know, it's not even guesswork. It's a proven fact that you will get more miles from your chain by oiling it regularly. Here's what you got to look at. The MotoBreeze chain oiler. It's got no moving parts, got no electrical parts. It runs off of air pressure and it's got vacuum connections that take the oil down and deposit it onto a felt pad that goes directly onto your chain. An ounce of oil gets you a thousand miles or 1600 kilometers. MotoBreeze.com. There's two eyes in there. MotoBreeze.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, this segment is not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, for today's Rider Skills, we've got Clinton Smout. Clinton heads up the Smart Adventures program at the Horseshoe Resort in Ontario, Canada. He's been teaching riders, uh, motorcycle riders for 25 plus years. He's a certified BMW off-road instructor. He's a certified snowmobile and ATV instructor and uh, a part-time guide, as you're going to hear on this episode today. Clinton, always great to have you back for Rider Skills. Thanks, Jim. Looking forward to it. So you just returned from uh, a trip to the Yukon, one you sort of do on a regular basis. That, that's probably going to play in well with our topic today, which is riding in gravel. Um, so how was the trip? It was excellent. Better than last year because we had a lot less rain. It was warmer. So the gravel that we speak of was a lot drier, firmer, and less mud. Oh, that's interesting. So that's, that's a good question right there. So obviously drier gravel is easier to ride in than wet gravel. Yes, depending on the amount of moisture, 
and Namibia, I was lucky enough to go to Africa four years ago. It hadn't rained in that part of Namibia for four years. So you can imagine the dust because mm. it's all gravel. I had to stay at least half a mile behind the rider in front of me. And it gave a chance for that cloud of dust to settle. So some moisture would have been good because right. it gets rid of the dust and it actually tightens the small molecules of sand and gravel to the point where if it's well used by bigger vehicles, tire tracks with a little bit of moisture in the gravel become very hard, almost like pavement. Mm. But once we get too much moisture, it turns into mud and that changes the game. Well, and sometimes, like, especially if you get up in the Yukon areas like that, they'll use a calcium chloride, a chemical for keeping the dust down, which is great when it's dry, but not so much when it's wet. That's horrible stuff. It turns into concrete. <laughs> and grease, really, isn't it? I mean, it gets yes. all greasy and then, and then, yeah, it sticks like concrete on your bike. Yeah, we should definitely talk about that and what's the best way to attack it. Okay, let's, so let's come back to that. So you've broken this down into, into separate components for us to tackle gravel travel so we can better understand how it affects our motorcycle and how we can counter those effects. So so we'll go through it like this, where we'll start off talking about prepping the bike itself for gravel travel, then keeping the bike upright when you encounter gravel and, and learning to enjoy the ride rather than be white knuckled. And then how wet gravel, like we were talking about, changes the scene. Then we can get into the calcium chloride. And then finally, some riding tips in relation to other riders and, and the vehicles itself, I guess, dealing with the dust while navigating the gravel. So just before we get into technique, I was curious to ask you this. Let's talk about the, the gravel itself. What is it about gravel, about the gravel makeup that makes gravel travel so difficult to begin with? Well, I think it goes back to what the rider is most used to riding. So if we are predominantly pavement riders, which are 99% of us, once we get into gravel, the wheel wants to wobble a little bit back and forth. It's simply searching for traction. It's only moving a couple of inches. But the instinctive reaction for most riders, because they've never felt that happen on the pavement, is to do two things. One of them is to grip the bars white knuckled like eagle claws. And the second thing our brain tells us to do when traction is challenged and it's wobbling is we slow down. Those two things are probably the worst two reactive, instinctive things you can do in the gravel. Mm. So riding the gravels has a lot more to do with or, or more akin to riding in sand than it does to asphalt. It does. So for someone like me, I grew up in the country about 10 miles from the nearest paved road. So from the age of, you know, six or seven, when I started riding till I was 15, I never touched a paved road. So we just got used to riding on gravel, hard packed until once every month or so, the grader came along on our rural roads. And I say roads because there was one OPP police officer in our whole area, Mr. Page, and he was awesome. He'd beep the horn and pull you over. And he'd say, Clinton, didn't I tell you to get off the road last week? <laughs> That's because, say, to yeah. be clear here, the reason is because you're a bit of a hooligan. You're riding an off-road bike. 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. I was 10 years old. Mm. So I would say, no, that was my brother. And then he would say, do I have to talk to your father? And that would scare us off the roads for a while. But there was no traffic. It was very rural farm area. So I got so used to gravel to the point where when the grader came, it left a foot high mound on the middle. And then he would turn around at the end of the 10 mile road and flatten it out. We loved it when the grader came. We'd phone our buddies, grader's there. And we'd all go out and we'd get our bikes going fast and jump over that mound. So we were pretty comfortable with loose gravel terrain because that was relative to our experience. Interesting story because that's terrifying for most riders. If you're a street rider only, you can't get away. You can't just say, oh, I'm only going to ride asphalt because you will never avoid, never be able to fully avoid that gravel section, the construction zone, the road that's changed. There's always going to be somewhere where you're going to have to deal with gravel. Not necessarily on a, you might not have a dual sport, but you're going to, ha- you're going to be forced no matter what you ride to deal with gravel. And that scene that you're describing that you guys had fun with is just terrifying for a lot of riders. Absolutely. The instinctive muscle memory habits for a pavement rider, they don't work off pavement, especially in loose terrain. You know, what's interesting with this sort of thing that that I find is that often when riders find something that's uncomfortable, they avoid it. Whereas I think that's probably the worst thing we can do to ourselves. Yes. Um, It does take a couple days worth of time investment, take all the bags off your bike, lighten it up, borrow your niece's dirt bike, or take a rider training school, little plug there for the instructors, and get comfortable at slow speeds in loose terrain. The two instincts that I mentioned before, white knuckle and slow down, what we try to get customers to do is to relax, breathe, open their grip, on the bars so it's a loose grip and actually instead of slowing down when you feel the front tire burrowing a little or wobbling light it up give it a shot of throttle don't hold it wide open for two minutes we're talking about a little blip prop that elongates the front suspension puts the weight of the bike and the rider onto the drive wheel at the back and then coupled with the loose grip it allows the front end of the bike to skim over that loose gravel or mud whatever you're doing and if you're not hanging on white knuckled it allows it to wobble a bit because it's not going to go into the ditch it's moving a couple of inches Well, before we get too much into technique, let's start off with that bike prep because we're going to do that before we get into the the gravel itself. So how do we prep our bikes for gravel travel? Well, some bikes come stock better prepared than others. Um, So so in other words, like like a a dual sport, you're you're right off the bat, you're better prepared than if you're riding a Harley. Exactly. Um, What you'll see in a bike that's better designed for gravel is more suspension adjustability. The fenders will be higher off the tire to accommodate for suspension movement more than four inches of the average street bike. The tire tread themselves 
will be more aggressive, more like a snow tire on your car than a summer tire. That's going to give us grip in looser terrain, and especially wet gravel, which is mud. And oftentimes there'll be crash guards. Now, if your bike doesn't have that, and you want to tour Peru and Ecuador, where roads are notoriously wet mud, you should equip your bike with a more aggressive tread pattern with crash guards, um, bark busters around your levers, and some better equipment for yourself, which we'll talk about later. But let's say you buy a BMW GS or a Honda Africa Twin. It's in its stock right out of the box form is going to be much better suited to gravel traveling than you know, a Triumph Speed Triple or a Honda Goldwing, right. just because of its design. But a lot of people have toured around the world on Yamaha R1s. Not the best suitable bike for off-road, but with some practice and skill, you can ride it. I saw people in the Yukon doing the Dempster Highway with big touring bikes. Absolute street tires, no aggressive tires, no crash guards. And luckily this summer it was quite dry. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, you could hike, say, a, a rough trail in running shoes and in good conditions, probably have no trouble at all. But if you get into anything, it just makes life much more complicated. You can just imagine wearing running shoes into mud as opposed to wearing hiking boots into the same mud. I mean, it's a different scene altogether. Yeah, you can get through on on nice weather or ideal conditions with the running shoes. But if it gets bad, that's when things could get really bad. And then you can end up getting hurt. Exactly. And that's a great analogy. What people often ask us is, what tires do you use, Clinton? Well, I'm a little different than most adventure touring folks because I'm using mine bikes often in a school environment. We don't do much pavement riding in our two-day adventure course. We're purposely asking you to go with us where we push you out of your comfort zone a little. We know where there's mud the whole summer, no matter how dry it is, where there's deep ruts, loose gravel hills, sand. So the particular tires I buy, I even tell people, they're the softest rubber I can find in an adventure bike tire, but they will wear out on the way to the Yukon. I get about 3,000 miles or 5,000 kilometers out of a rear tire, the particular brand I use. It's called Anlas Capra X, and you can move the knobs with your fingers and thumbs. It's very soft. So... That's one of the things I can expect in my ride of a bike that I ride a lot is I'm going to put two sets of tires on it in one riding season. Mm. That's expensive. But to me, I don't mind paying for premium gas because I feel the bike runs better and I get better fuel mileage. Yes, it costs me more, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make for performance. And it's the same with tires. You could buy a really hard touring compound. I think they're made out of hockey pucks. They'll last 15,000 miles, but they're not the best traction on wet pavement, mud, or gravel because they're just so hard. There's no give. There's no flex. 
So you compromise. Okay, so we, we've done our best to, to prep our bike for gravel travel. Now, let's say we're on a, a weekend getaway. We ride around a bend and find unexpectedly that um, since the last time we rode this section of road, it's completely ripped up and covered with a thick layer of fresh, deep, dry gravel. Can you talk about what we should do here? Jokingly, I always say, let your friend go first. But <laughs> if you do happen to be behind other riders, watch their line, watch how their bike and they handle the changes in the road surface. That tells you a lot. Even if there's a car in front of you, if you see a cloud of dust come up, that's not usually on the pavement. The road has changed. So you've got to drop your speed down. Um, there's usually a change in elevation from pavement to construction gravel. It might be a bump down or a bump up. So I'll stand up with a flexed knee ready to help absorb that change in suspension. Let me just stop you and, there. Hang on one yeah. second. Because you said slow down. Now, now you're talking slow down before you get into that gravel then. Exactly. So if you're in heavy traffic, don't just chop the throttle off because there's a truck following you that can't see your brake light. So you have to use some common sense. But look in your mirror. Nothing's right behind you. I want to go into that construction gravel zone from pavement way below the posted speed limit. Just because I don't know how deep the gravel is. Is it potholed? Is there ruts? I don't know until I get there. I'd much rather be going slower. Um, one of our instructors, Johnny, says, ride the speed that you're comfortable crashing at. <laughs> I, I don't know if any speed is, is really comfortable. I think a lot of people might say, well, I'm yeah. not comfortable crashing no matter what. But it certainly kind of makes you think about things a little bit and think about your speed and think, well, yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to go down at this speed. And I mean, I guess when it comes to traffic and things, this is all going to vary depending on you know, where you're at and, and how much gravel there is and how far you have to go and how much traffic there is. Um, but uh, I guess the one thing to keep in mind is don't let yourself get pushed along with the traffic behind you if you can help it, because that's where you end up running into trouble. Exactly. Especially if you're not experienced in gravel, that's not a, the best time to practice it is in heavy traffic when it changes to construction. Right. You, you want to you be doing this in advance and we'll get to some, some practice for this. So you mentioned at, at the end, rather, um, now you mentioned, so we're standing up. So standing up is the best way. And we talked about it, I think, on the last episode about this, about standing on the pegs, again, to let the bike find its way and let the bike just be more maneuverable on its own. Can you talk about that? Yeah. What we really believe, and just go and try it, is in gravel, Stand up, just first gear. You don't need 100 miles an hour. Ride along in first gear, standing, and take your right foot completely off the peg. Your motorcycle will turn left. We call this peg steering. So in gravel, as the bike is moving around under you, you can control the direction with weight into your feet. And I'll qualify it. We only take the foot off to really impress on the student that it works. You don't see people doing the Paris to car with one foot on the peg. They right. simply shift their weight from one foot to the other to change and maneuver the bike in loose terrain. So if you're sitting down, peg steering doesn't work as well. 
you have to be standing. And standing up is no problem on a dual sport bike, but some street bikes would be quite difficult to stand up on. It is. If it's a cruiser style where the foot peg ergonomics is in front of you, you have to pull up on your arms, which people are used to doing to go over little speed bumps. But if you can't stand up or don't feel comfortable, then you must slow right down because gravel is not going to be flat and smooth like pavement. There's going to be a lot of changes and undulations in the road surface. So if you're going through there at 50 miles an hour, like you were on the pavement, your spine is really going to be hammered. And if you have a poor passenger, the effect is more pronounced at the back of the bike, where the rider, the operator is more in the middle. You don't feel the bumps as much as the poor passenger. If you're, if you're riding through and you're, you're slowing down, because we mentioned scrubbing some speed off, you talked about that right at the start. Is there a, a sort of um, a sweet spot in there where you can go too slow and become unstable? Yes. The slower you go, the harder it is to balance. Even if there's zero traffic, it's smoother in loose terrain and gravel to have some momentum. Going below 10 miles an hour, it really wobbles. And now you've added balancing the bike and keeping it upright. So a motorcycle at speed, if you jumped off, it would go a long way all by itself. If you jumped off at five miles an hour, it would wobble and fall down within a matter of feet. So two wheels at rotation at speed creates this gyroscopic procession. I hate using $5 words, but it will continue along much better much more balanced without rider input than a motorcycle traveling very slowly. So then what you're saying is that the the bike can actually do it. So are we the problem in gravel? Like, is the rider the issue? Absolutely. It's the same as a horse. It can jump way better over a fence than if there's some dummy on its back. A motorcycle, as I say, if you jump off, it'd go through gravel no problem. But we, doing the wrong inputs, compound the problem and make it way worse. So it's really important to practice it. If you can find some gravel, very lightly traveled roads, and practice riding it, especially once the grader's gone by, that makes it a little more challenging because it's deeper gravel. So our first thing is to allow the bike to move. That means, I think, as you mentioned already, a light grip on the handlebars and standing up. Yes, and the grip can be achieved because it's very hard to sell someone who's freaking out. Yeah, relax your grip. Yeah. Another thing we say is pretend you have an egg in your glove. That's the the weight that we want. Another trick, off-road riders often ride with two fingers resting on their clutch or brake lever because it's out there ready to use because off-road we're turning, we're going over things, zigging and zagging between trees and we use the clutch in the front brake a lot more than we might on the street. If you can envision your two fingers beside your thumbs are on the grips of the handlebar, That means you only have 
two fingers and your thumb wrapped around the grip. So it's physically harder to grip too tight when you only have three digits left on your hand to use. And that's one way we get people to stop white knuckling. Uh, Keith Code talks about it in his Twist of the Wrist book. Well, I say book because I'm really old. People have DVDs of it. Great, great video to help you take corners. He says, before you enter a corner, flap your elbows up and down. If you're hanging on too tight, it's very difficult to flap your elbows. And on a motorcycle, to negotiate curves, for instance, you need a loose upper body and a very tight lower body. So flapping the arms will relax the grip. I like what you're saying because it, it sort of changes the um, perspective here that the gravel is so difficult. Really, the gravel's not all that difficult for the bike. There's some, obviously, it tends to wander more. But really, what messes things up, as I said, is it's the rider itself stiffening up, trying to hold the bike in a straight line when the bike doesn't want to go in a straight line. So I, I like this. So we, we have a loose grip. We're standing up, ideally, um, from what you're saying. What about, uh, you, you mentioned before about blipping the throttle when the front wheel starts to give us trouble. Just cover that a little in a little bit more depth. Yeah, this would be not your cottage road gravel that's fairly packed down, where if you stayed in a tire track, that would give us pretty good traction because it's packed down. You don't need to blip the throttle. What you need to do there on what I call easy gravel roads is appreciate that you're not going to be able to stop as quickly, especially if you have ABS on, and there's going to be dust or possibly stones kicked up by the vehicles in front of us. So a quick addition to how to prep your bike, if you're going to do a lot of gravel riding, if you have a great big rad exposed to stuff being kicked up at it, you'd better invest in a rad guard. Uh, we had one gentleman get a hole in his rad on the Dempster Highway. And with a liquid-cooled bike, that's the Achilles heel of that motorcycle. You've got a rad leak, you run out of fluid, your engine's going to seize, you're done. Mm. So we tipped it over on the side, and I used JB Weld, I'm sure people have heard of that, tubes of goo, you mix them all together, clean off the area, get the rad fluid off, and then blop it on there. And in 20 minutes, it forms into metal. And we fixed the rad, filled it back up with water, and then off we went. Yep. So you Incredible stuff, that JB Well. That, that's something that I always carry with me. I carry it in our vehicle as well. The one thing with bike rads is that they're getting so delicate. I guess they all are now. They're getting so delicate. They're even using plastic end caps on them and then complete aluminum rads in it. Yes. Lightweight goals demand very, very lightweight rads. But, you know, if, if they get any lighter, a wasp is going to go through it because... <laughs> They're very, very thin and they're not cheap. They're going to be double the cost of the rad for your truck, just economy of scale. So mm -hmm. you want to protect it. Um, and that's a note I don't think we touched on is twice in one day, um, I cleaned my rad once with a power washer at the top of the Dempster Highway. 
And then on the way south, I used three water bottles and put a pinhole in it and squished as hard as I could to try to get the mud and dirt out of the red because it can't do its job if it's clogged. Mm -hmm. Well, and and let's talk about that now because we mentioned wet gravel. we, We talked about calcium chloride. Let's first talk about wet gravel as far as how does it change the ride? Well, it's really going to wobble because it's deeper now. So it it really uh, creates more issues for the rider. So you have to knock your speed down dramatically. You have to stand up if you can on the particular bike you're on because that makes peg steering better, which is when it's wallowing and trying to go to the right, you just lean on the left peg. But I realize not everybody's an expert off-road rider. There's no shame at all in dropping down to first gear really slow, sitting down and duck walking. You know, your right and left boots are paddling along. Anything to get through it. I can hear people shaking their heads right now as you say that. (laughs) Well, the purest... Like if you were in a BMW GS Challenge, you would be penalized with a demerit point every time your toe touches the ground going through a mud course. Most of us aren't riding a GS Challenge. We just want to get to the motel at the end of our ride or campsite. There's no shame at all in sitting down. It's better than falling down. Mm, yeah, that, that's so true. And the, the reality is, like you said, you just, you need, you want to get somewhere. You're probably loaded up with all your gear. You're on a trip. You're, you're going from one place to another. The idea is to get through safely. And if it means, you know, not looking like the hero, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've done it many times. And we're going to take a short break to thank two companies that helped bring today's episode to you today. When we come back, we have a story about Clinton getting stuck in the Yukon and what he had to do to get out because He found himself alone. He's at the back of a group. Well, hang around for that. And we've also got some things for you to practice for your riding skills and a little bit more. So stay with us. If you're riding a large adventure bike that sees a a lot of fire roads or, or gravel, that sort of thing, maybe you do a fair bit of standing up, then you should have a look at the IMS products ADV-1 and ADV-2 foot pegs. These are large pegs that give you a comfortable platform for those long highway stretches. And then when you get into those fire roads where you need to stand up, well, those pegs are the ones that are going to give you that added leverage and stability that keeps you in control of the bike, not the other way around. Those are the largest pegs that IMS makes, but they've got a full line of pegs right from there on down to much smaller ones, depending on your intended use for adventure motorcycles. Drop by their website, imsproducts.com, and see why riders like me absolutely love IMS pegs. Tough, reliable, and precise. Just give yourself the tools you need to get the most out of your ride. Made in the USA, warranted for life. imsproducts.com. Don't forget, when you're talking to them, mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. You know, backpackers really uh, understand the value of a good quality sock. I mean, of course, you need a good quality boot for backpacking, but you also need that sock because the sock is what protects your foot from your boot and that you'll get chafing from the movement between the two. And we'll certainly find it too with motorcycling. Not only that, you want a sock that's going to keep your feet warm 
when it's cold out. And the best cold weather socks I've ever found that I've ever tried from all the socks and all the outdoors things that I've done are Pearly's Possum Socks. They're made specifically for motorcyclists. They've got a couple of different variations of them. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Um, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio when you're talking to them. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Well, we're continuing on with rider skills, and this is Clinton Smout from the Smart Adventures Training Center at the Horseshoe Resort in Ontario, Canada. We are talking about gravel travel. Okay, so how about some tips uh, maybe and precautions for riding gravel? Maybe you can begin with um, talking about braking and the changes with braking in gravel, and then just talk about maybe some of the, the precautions about following other riders that would come with, with drier gravel. Yes. So braking on gravel is a lesson we do for everyone taking either a dirt bike, rider training course, or an adventure bike. Most of our street legal motorcycles within the next 10 years, I think everything will have ABS. So that prevents the wheel locking up. Absolutely fantastic for a wet paved road. Where it doesn't work and what, what it translates into in gravel is an incredibly long braking distance. It feels like you don't have any brakes compared to braking on pavement. And what that means is if you're riding off-road in gravel or any other type of non-paved surface, you have to leave a phenomenally greater following distance behind other vehicles, anticipating that it's going to take a lot to slow this thing down. So we teach, even use the gearbox. If you're in fourth gear doing 50 miles an hour, you've got to stop quickly, ABS brakes alone won't do it. Bang down through the gears and drop the clutch, and that will help slow you down. If you do have the option, on most European adventure bikes, the engineers put a button or a switch or something where you can toggle through it and choose ABS off. What that gives us is perfectly good hydraulic front and rear brakes, but it will skid when you hammer the brakes on. So the cautionary note an instructor should give someone is that when you shut your ABS off, you cannot grab the front brake like you used to on the paved road. Because in looser terrain, if you grab that front brake, the front end's gone. But just, um, just back to what you're saying about the, the yeah. ABS, about putting ABS on and, and, and turning it off. Um, one of the things I noticed with, with running with ABS off is it allows the tires to sort of dig in and sort of sink, pile up a bit of stuff in front of them, which is part of what makes you skid to a stop so much faster. And with the ABS on, of course, you don't have that. It keeps rolling on top of everything. Exactly. So especially evident when traveling downhills. If you're going to a mountainous country, and touring and it's gravel, you want that ABS off. So the back wheel will lock up and a mound of dirt gravel stones builds up in front of the tire. So as you say, Jim, that decelerates us. Now you mentioned the mud and you mentioned cleaning mud out of your radiator. What about dust? 
Yeah, dust can be, depending on where you are, it's going to choke you. So having a balaclava, something to cover your nose and mouth, really helps filter the dust out of your lungs, or you'll be blowing your nose for half an hour at the end of the day. Think of what that does to your engine. Most adventure bikes or street bikes come with a paper element for filtering the air, and that's going to be clogged. So one of the first things I do with an adventure bike is buy a foam air filter that I can clean out with a proper biodegradable kind of solvent, wash it, let it dry, and oil it so it traps the dirt and dust coming in, and you get a lot better lifespan out of your engine. But the main beauty is it's cleanable and reusable. Whereas an air filter, you know, on street bikes, have we ever even looked at it? Probably don't have to. But uh, if you're riding like this in Namibia, you could tell the bike's performance decreased because people were following in the dust of the other riders or big trucks. I, that's one of my rules. I cannot and do not ride in dust when my vision or heavy fog I slow right down. I'll pull over and stop and let the dust settle. You're just asking for trouble. If you can't see way down the road in front of you, it's nuts to keep going just because everybody else is. Mm. And I know you're not into comms, um, but that's where comms can be great because you, you don't have that panic of trying to keep up with the person in front of you. And if you're riding that, I mean, I would recommend that you work out something so that you guys can separate and not ride in someone's dust. Because I'll tell you a story that, that happened with me. This is many years ago when we were in publishing. We went to a new vehicle launch and it was in uh, it was at a place called the Vermejo Ranch in New Mexico. And it was very dry, very dusty. Right after our we left with a bunch of journalists that we were we were with, our group of journalists, the next group that came in somebody was following very close behind with a truck blowing up all kinds of dust. And this dust was huge. Well, another vehicle cut behind that vehicle and killed somebody because they couldn't even see it in, in the dust. I mean, as a motorcycle, you know, we have so little protection and to put ourselves in that situation where you're following someone's dust, forget about what it's doing to your bike, the danger of not being seen and having someone cut across in the dust and hit you is just absolutely huge. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to that, Jim, a cautionary note, if there is traffic, maybe it's a local person in their pickup truck. They're not slowing down because it's dusty. They're used to it. So they're not going to expect to see a motorcyclist doing 20 miles an hour on a 50 mile an hour back road. So stay to the right four-way flashers if you have them in the dust and keep, keep an eye on your mirror if you're going way slower than most people will. You also had a a tip about um, our key openings. Yeah, Um, and that's not mine. Louise, a lady who works for us, came on the Yukon trip, and I saw her with duct tape, and she's covering up all of her luggage key openings, and her gas cap, everything had duct tape on it. And then I knew what she was doing as soon as I'd seen it, because. The previous year, she had a lot of trouble getting her luggage off her bike because the dumpster dust and mud clogged it all up. Mm. 
I love that. I, mean, I just think that's great. It's a, that's a, a smart and very simple thing to do when most of us are carrying duct tape with us. And if you're not, you probably should be uh, a great way to seal anything. And of course you can use duct tape for so many other things, but it's easier to try and keep the dust out than to deal with it when it gets into something, anything. I agree. Yep. Same with the mud. You also carry glass cleaner with you. Yeah. Um, I can't stand riding with a dirty helmet visor. I wear glasses, so they're going to be dusty after gravel use. So I always carry a bottle of Windex and some paper towel, clean my mirrors, my headlight, my taillight, my glasses, visor, and a good tip to get bugs and mud junk off your windshield is if you do have access to hot water, Take a rag, maybe a kettle, boil it and pour it on the towel or rag and just sit that on the windscreen of your helmet or the bike and the warmth of the water will melt the little bug carcasses and you can simply wipe off with the towel or rag and you don't have to scrub or you don't have to buy bug remover product and then have a cup of tea as you're doing that. Just let it sit there for five minutes. It wipes right off. I like your point about, about washing the tail light off and your signals off. That's really important because it's very easy and it happens very quick to get them all covered. And of course, that's you know the way somebody's going to see you coming from behind. Um, I, I want to jump back here, Clinton, though, about braking. Just to cover this, what about leaning while braking? And you also said something about dragging your feet, not paddling like going through the mud, but people who tend to drag their feet. Yeah, the dragging the feet in a braking scenario is very dangerous because what brake have we got left? Only the front. So a very habitual thing that I see street riders do is they're approaching an intersection or a stop sign and both feet come off the pegs. They're sitting down and they're like outriggers and they hover above the ground. And then as they stop, they just use the front brake. That habit is going to bite you in the gravel because the only brake you have left is the front. It locks up very easily and then the front end's gone Mm. and you crash. So we practice with our beginner riders. We start right at the beginning. As you're coming into a stop, we'd love to see your helmet lean to the left a little bit. That mass of your head and helmet moving to the left will help your left foot come down for balance at a stop, allowing your right foot to stay up on the peg. Oh, you mean just using the weight of your head to to tilt the bike over? That's it. Hmm. That's all you need. I like it. So let's say you take a paved corner at 40 miles an hour. The suggested sign in yellow says 25 miles an hour. But let's say you take your favorite corner above the posted speed limit on pavement. You can lean with the motorcycle. You've got good tires. You're in the tire track. It's really fun. Then you get out into a gravel corner of the same geometry, the same angle and arc. You cannot take it at that same speed unless you've got some experience. If you aggressively take loose gravel corners, the front end or the rear wheel are going to slide to the outside. 
causing the bike to lean over and possibly crash. So you have to take corners a lot slower in the gravel. Plus, when you're leaned over, you're more likely on a gravel road to encounter potholes. So if you're leaned way over and you hit a big pothole, you're more likely to lose the bike than if you're traveling not leaned over, which means slower speed. So use your brake lights, gearbox, slow down so you can go through the corner standing upright more so than at high speed. One lesson we do is called brake slides. I don't know if we've talked about it before, but most street riders, when they lose the back end of the motorcycle, it slides out. It could be on a wet road and they're leaned over in a corner and they get on the gas too soon before the bike stands up. The back wheel will slide out or drift. Most of them fall down. A dirt rider in that situation, my belief is they've had so much experience with a lack of traction, the dirt rider, when their back wheel slides out on the pavement, they start giggling. This is fun. I remember this. So what we do with street riders and adventure riders, we get you riding along, sitting forward on the seat or standing so the back of the bike doesn't have any weight. Stage one, pull in your clutch, shut the gas off and hammer your rear brake ABS off. The result is the back tire is going to lock up and skid. And we ask you to keep your toe on the rear brake for a, a full three seconds. So you get a big long skid out of that. Generally, because we're putting weight on our right side of our body to put the brake on, the back wheel will step out marginally. It'll slide out to the right. So you've got to correct the steering a little to keep it going straight. So stage two, what we do, same thing, pull in the clutch. This is from 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour. Pull in the clutch, hammer the brake, and then we add a step. Turn your handlebars to the left a little. Now the back wheel will kick out to the right in what we call a hook slide or a drift. Many of us did it in our mom's car in the snow in a parking lot. And to get the back wheel to slide around, we used the gas. This is very similar technique, except it's less dangerous to use it with the rear brake than the throttle. And what we gain from this is the back wheel's gonna slide out. Your job is then to control how far it steps out or drifts with steering input. So simply look over the headlight and turn the handlebars to straighten the slide out. Just point the bars where you wanna go. And that controls the lack of traction. Now, if you do this enough, it becomes muscle memory. So that when you lose the back wheel on a gravel corner or a wet paved road, that kicks in and you don't fall down. Mm. 
Mm, that's a that's a very good point. Um, the one thing I was going to add to that is that um, one thing you find when you're doing that, when you're doing a rear, a rear wheel skid steer, is that sometimes you um, you'll come up, in particular if you're using it to turn a corner, let's say, and you might find you're going too fast, and and because your rear wheel's locked up, there feels like nothing more you can do, but you can modulate your speed with your front brake still, and this may be getting too technical, but it's a great way you have full control because all of a sudden you can steer your bike and you still have braking and your rear wheel is locked up. Exactly. Yeah, we that's kind of a little bit more advanced putting the front brake on while in a corner. We recommend one finger only when you're doing that because it'll lock up very quickly. Right. Um I remember we had Liz Jansen on some time ago talking about a crash that she had. And uh, I think what she said was that she found she got into the gravel and she kept speeding up and speeding up and she eventually crashed. It was, it was horrible, but she's recovered and, and has done incredible things from that. I know she was just out for a course with you not long ago on just this riding in gravel. But when you enter a corner, which is, I think, what happened to Liz, you enter a corner and you all of a sudden realize that I'm going too fast and it's gravel. So you're, the reason you feel like you're going too fast is you're starting to drift toward the outside of your, your curve. What's your options here? Um, what we talk about, and Liz realized it afterwards, she's taught for many, many years street riders. What we would tell you at the entrance of a corner is look through the curve. So if you're approaching a curve to the left, pavement, gravel, mud, whatever, your chin should be on your left shoulder with your eyes looking to the left. If your eyes are looking over the headlight straight, there's a possibility of target fixating on the ditch on the right-hand side of the road. And if it's gravel and you don't feel comfortable and you're going too fast and you realize it's wanting to stand up and go straight rather than lean and go left, don't look at the ditch because you're going to help it crash into the side of the road. So it's really important that eyes are the first thing you consider. Then if your speed isn't appropriate, how do I best slow down to a speed for this gravel corner that I'm going to feel more comfortable? And what are your options for that? Don't grab the front brake. You can ride the rear brake, drop a gear down and smoothly let the clutch out. If you don't have what's called a slipper clutch, if you're doing third gear speed and you drop it down into first and let the clutch, the back wheel's going to lock up. If you have a conventional drivetrain clutch system, if you have these slipper clutches, which came out of racing, you can bang it down four gears, drop the clutch, and it will not allow the back wheel to lock up and skid. But the gearbox, regardless of the clutch system you have, will help slow you down. Even if you have a DCT Honda with no lever clutch on the left side, in manual, you can hit the arrow down and it will help decelerate the bike from the back end. Mm. Losing speed with the rear wheel is much more controllable than losing speed with the front wheel. 
So now you have an assignment for us. What can we do to increase our gravel travel skills? And before I let you answer that, I was just going to mention that I know when I first started riding an adventure bike, and I still do it now, but only to different degrees because I've increased my skill a little bit. But when I first started, um, I would take my bike and I would ride down the gravel road. The tracks, as you mentioned, the wheel tracks are, are relatively clear and there'll be gravel in the middle, more of a bit of a pile up of gravel. And I would ride that section to try and get the feel of what the bike feels like and how to handle that gravel with what I felt was a bit of a safety in there that I could easily go into the tire track or, or if I slid off of it, I would go into the tire track. And I mean, I even messed around just the other day on a, on a rail trail. There's a real big hump of six inches of gravel. It's very difficult to stay on the center, but I find it improves my skill and I have a little bit of an out there with the, with the wheel track. So I'm I'm not sure if that's what you're going to get in there, but I was just going to put that out there and see how you felt about that yeah that's fantastic idea jim an old trials rider taught me once i took a trials riding school and he goes what do you like to practice so i told him and he said well don't practice that you idiot practice things that you're bad at until you get better at Mm. it yeah, that, that stuff that I mentioned that, that makes you uncomfortable. That's what I was saying. Yes. When you when you get into a situation, you go, well, I don't like mud or I don't like sand or I don't like the, that, that pile up of gravel when the grader goes through. Well, I think that's probably your indication that that's where you need to spend your time. Exactly. And then get that muscle memory, that habit, which will transfer into confidence when you encounter that with a heavily laden touring bike. Because mm-hmm. it's all the same big horse, little horse. The technique to getting through it is exactly the same. So um, getting back to that gravel road, if you can close your eyes and envision, don't do it if you're driving, but most gravel roads are not as wide as paved roads. So in rural North America, Africa, lots of places I've had the good fortune to travel on a bike. If you stay in the left tire track going north, Someone coming south, if they're in their truck, their left tire is in the same tire track. So you have to be very careful around corners and hills. If you're staying where you think you belong, I would always tell customers, move over to the right tire track for hills and around blind corners and gravel or pavement. Mm. If oncoming traffic, yeah, I, I, I think that is such an important, I want to highlight that as such an important bit of information. I see so many riders riding in that tire track the closest to the oncoming traffic. And the, the thing is, is even on a paved road, the traffic coming the other way is often in your lane, partly over that center line. But Blind Hills is another place. I mean, we, we both know of a rider that died from that going over hill. Now, I'm not sure where he was on the road, but the thing is with Blind Hills on narrow roads, chances are the oncoming traffic is going to be in your lane, at least partially. Exactly. And a lot of us, the beauty of traveling on an adventure bike where there is gravel is there isn't congestion and industrial pollution. We're out in the middle of nowhere. The local traffic isn't expecting a bunch of bikes coming through there. So they're often all over the road or at least in the middle. So the guy we're talking about, if you're thinking of Rob Harris, was a good friend of mine, a Canadian journalist. And he passed away riding towards the middle of the road as he crested a hill. Not at great speed, but the time 
reaction that happens in an instant. And he ended up breaking his neck, hitting the pickup truck. The truck had already stopped, but um, Rob lost control of the front end and slid into the truck. But if he'd been in the right tire track, he would have passed that truck. Mm -hmm. So it's something I talk about every time I teach. And I remember fondly, Rob was quite a character. So when I would tell him funny stories, I'd make the beer come out his nose. (laughs) So I have fond memories of him, but I keep his memory alive every time I teach. I call it the Rob Harris rule, stay to the right. Yeah, yep, I agree totally. Stay to the right and make it your habit. And often what I do is I'll stand up in, you know, riding gravel on one of those roads. You get those hills, those that that have the the ups and downs, the whoop-de-doo sort of thing hills. Um, I'll stand up as I approach it just to make myself visible sooner and allow me to see sooner before my bike gets closer to the top of the hill. Yeah, better vision. Yeah. Anyway, so we've went off again. Um, so we were talking about the uh, assignment. Yep, the homework. Yeah, go find some gravel. If you don't have uh, an off-road course of some kind, I think it's the best investment a rider could make. We put thousands of dollars of stuff on our bikes to make it a better adventure bike. And really good gear is thousands of dollars head to foot. And we don't invest a penny into some rider training that will really shorten your adaptation of this changing environment. Um, I'm good in gravel because I grew up in it. Literally, that's what I rode for 15 years before I touched pavement. And I still do it regularly. So. Um, people that don't and just buy a bike and they go to Africa or Alaska, boy, that's a steep learning curve. And it takes thousands and thousands of kilometers to get really comfortable and good and precise with changing terrain, mud, gravel, sand. So an adventure course, one or two days, I don't know, $800 US or $1,000 Canadian, whatever it is, fantastic value in having someone be able to give you constructive criticism and coaching on, okay, that was really good, but I didn't hear the engine blip in the sand. That's why it really sunk in. Or you use the front brake way too hard there. That's why you're underneath your bike right now. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that option, there's always YouTube. I think I have about 20 YouTube videos on how to ride gravel, sand, breaking hills, mud. There's fantastic stuff out there. There's a lot of junk on YouTube, but there's also some good stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, the thing is, the point you're making is so valid. We spend so much money on, on the bikes and the gear. Um, you mean pass up a piece of gear and, and get some riding instruction because it's the type of thing you're going to spend a lot of time picking your bike up um, where you could have an instructor point out something that you could correct very quickly and then move on to the next skill. So you get just far more out of it. And, and the reason I know this so well is because it, it, it works with everything. I mean, we used to be in the adventure business and I know that when people would try to learn to paddle, for instance, canoes on their own, the, the learning curve is so steep. But if you go with an instructor, you can get those basics down and have them point out things that you would never otherwise even know to pay attention to. So well worth it. Yeah, little tips and good coaching, it builds your confidence up and you practice that until you're feeling good about it. That's the whole idea of riding. We want to have fun. Um, take a course or at least practice it. Uh, no matter where you live, 
within a, an hour or two's ride, there's got to be some gravel. And that's where you can practice these skills, riding slowly, watch for traffic behind you. But try standing up, try stopping on gravel, turning. It's all vastly different than pavement. The more you expose yourself to that and practice, the better you're going to be able to handle what gravel throws at you. Now, you also mentioned about uh, practicing rear brake slides on gravel. Yeah, I love doing that. And not only is it so much fun, that really gives people confidence. So for our homework, we get out there, we find some gravel, preferably light gravel to begin with, you know, not not too thick gravel, dry. Um, we turn off our ABS. Uh, we, we practice maybe some some rear brake slides, if, if that's possible, and some uphills, downhills, and um, put some time in. Yes, that's the key. Uh, if you can, go practice with a friend. In case you do crash, it's always nicer to have somebody there to help pick up your bike. I crashed last week in the Yukon. Well, kind of on purpose. I pulled off the gravel and put my bike on the tundra, which was soft moss, to take some pictures of it. And everybody else had gone. And then I found a big hole kind of hidden under the moss. So now my bike is stuck. To get it out, I had to tip it over and then drag it out of the hole. And I wasn't strong enough to pick up the GSA with the bags and all my luggage and camera gear. So I completely stripped the bike of all the weight and then stood it up. What was cool is that slowed me down chasing the other group by half an hour because I got stuck twice. When I did load up my bike and go to take off, a monster boar grizzly big male grizzly crossed the road in front of me. So I got great pictures, which I wouldn't have seen. Yeah, Yeah, it was really cool. Well, Clinton, once again, thank you very much. Always great fun talking to you about rider skills. My pleasure. Thanks, Jim. All the best. I've been speaking with Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures. They specialize in adventure motorcycle training, off-road riding, ATV, and snowmobile training and certification programs. They've got a year-round operation at the Horseshoe Resort in Ontario, Canada. Their website is smartadventures.ca. And of course, we'll put that link in the show notes as we always do. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. about wraps.
wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and our rider skills program. We would love to get your feedback on it. Um, we do get a lot of feedback on it and we, we know that everybody likes it or a lot of people really like it. We'd love to know what you think of it. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on the rider skills program that you listen to and put a comment in. Let us know what you think or you can always send us off a, an email as well. Hey, if you're not doing it already or you haven't done it, we need your support for Adventure Rider Radio. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. So we need you to jump in there. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our Raw show, which brings me to the other point. Um, Well, wait, before I finish that, we'd love to get you as a patron, a monthly supporter on Patreon. It only takes a small amount. It makes a huge difference to us producing this show. Now, our other show, Raw, that comes out as, as a separate feed. You need to subscribe separately, and you really should because it's motorcycle travel. It's a roundtable talk that we do each month and we have a panel of, uh, of travelers on there that just tackle different topics each time, each month. It's a lot of fun and I think you'll enjoy it. Try it out. Let me know what you think. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike. My name's Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. This is Chris Whitty with Woody's Wheelworks, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Ah!